And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome. I'm Matthew Tosh and on this week's show we celebrate by Visibility Day. But that's nothing compared to the person sitting next to me, Steffi Barnett. We are also speaking to James Bell and Leo LeBeau about their new film, Birthday Boy. Plus news, music and more. Stay tuned and don't go anywhere. By Visibility Day, around already, it doesn't seem five minutes since the last one, but I suppose that's just a product of this totally bizarre year we've had. Steffi, how are you? I'm good. Um, everyone listening who's by, put their hands up now, and we're uh, can show. Yeah, I, I'm, my hands up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my pansexual, bisexual hands are in the air like I just don't care. I do care. I do care. That's the point, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it is the whole point. Um, but uh, yeah, I know what you mean because tr- trying to explain to people pansexuality, I, I do, I, I do come down and just say, oh, it's easier if I say I'm bisexual. But I, and then, I, then I beat myself up. I'm not being true. I'm not educating people, mm. so it's. Uh, I find it really tricky. It's interesting. When I was younger, I, I came out as saying, um, to a vicar, I hasten to add, um, I just love all people. Uh, and uh, I feel like that sums up pansexuality pretty well. It, it as does. I love the person. It's is, the person. It's exactly that. And speaking of people we love, Ezra, it's lovely to talk to you this week. We also have Mr. Terry Starr here. Hello. Hello. How are we? How are we this week? Uh, splendid, splendid. Should we're probably good. just point good, out good. to people. Uh, 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 a bit naughty, but we're pre-recording this because we're all away this week. So um, we're doing our best to keep you up to date. Uh, so that's that's where we are this the, this week. We're all over the place. Uh, we've got lots coming up. It's a packed show. We're going to crack on. Um, if you've been listening to our shows over the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been featuring um, some excerpts from a series uh, from the charity Fighting with Pride. And this week is no exception. And we're hearing from someone called Stephen. Let's take a listen. Until the turn of the century, British armed forces engaged in the social cleansing of a group of their own people. People the military saw as a threat to its existence. LGBT plus personnel matched the courage of their peers on the battlefield, but if discovered were arrested, interrogated, subjected to degrading medical examinations and court-martial. Working with the charity Fighting With Pride, we're telling the stories of people who served or were directly affected by this gay ban. Let's hear from Stephen Close, who, inspired by his older brother, joined the army in 1980 and spent two and a half years serving in Berlin during the Cold War. Well, I was confused with my sexuality. Coming from a working-class background, growing up in the 70s, sex education was, you know, there was no um, discussion on homosexuality. It was a completely taboo subject. Uh, I was very confused. I honestly didn't think I was gay. I was in um, an engineering apprenticeship. I was enjoying it. But I had these feelings, and I thought to myself, the only way I can get rid of these feelings is joining the army. Hopefully they will make a man of me. When we was in Berlin, there was a very lot of time where we'd 
socialising, party most nights, um, having a good time, going out drinking, um, getting very close to your friends. There was a group of us in this room who was drinking most of the night and um, these barriers started to fall down then between us and eventually it came down. There was three of us in the room. One of them had passed out. He was drunk and fell, fell asleep on the bed. And then we sat kissing with each other and fondling each other. And we decided to leave the room and go to another room where we had sex. And unfortunately, the lad who we'd thought had fallen asleep hadn't, and he witnessed us kissing. He waited till I left the building and went back to my own room. Then he decided to get up and go to the guardhouse and report me. I was on the shooting team at the time. And the military police turned up at the range and escorted me back to my HQ. I uh, was asking questions, what I'd done, um, have I done it before? Is it the first time I'd done it with this person? Um, what actually did I do? And I kept denying it and denying it. Because I kept saying to me, if, if I do admit to it, I knew my career would be over and I'd probably end up going to prison. We then broke for lunch and we was escorted by military police to the dining hall, the mess hall, which was very busy. It's full of about 300 soldiers in there, very noisy. But as we were marched in, everyone just stopped and looked. I knew then that everybody knew known what had happened. Then people started shouting homophobic abuse at us as we was eating our meal. And then we was taken to the medical examination. And as we took our clothes off, they bagged them. They took pubic hair samples, saliva samples. Then we had to lie on the beds while they looked up our backsides. This was done with people actually watching outside the examination room. The doors were left open. I think that was part of the interrogation to try and break us. It did work. They collected underwear, bedding, personal letters, photographs, everything. We were interrogated once again. Um, by that time, I was physically exhausted and completely broken then, and that's when I admitted to it and confessed. We were relieved of all duties. I was completely isolated from the rest of the battalion. I was beaten up a few times. I was sexually assaulted. Then when the court-martial eventually came, I asked for legal representation. And he said, no, it's an army matter. Um, you'll be appointed an officer who will represent you. Nothing was put forward on my side. The um, judge advocate passed sentence of discharge with disgrace from the armour and then sentenced to six months in prison, which I served at Colchester. I don't think I'd contemplated taking my own life at the time, but I actually physically punched myself in the face a few times when I was drunk. I punched myself that hard a few times. I had a black eye. Um, I was made to feel like a pervert. I was very low, low ebb of my life. Then when I started looking for work, I realised what impact it would have on me. I applied to work in a police station cleaning, just cleaning. The interviewer, she turned around and she said, um, apparently you've got um, a gross and decent conviction. And uh, I explained that that was in the army, it had nothing to do with civilian life. And she said, no, you've got a criminal record for being a sex offender, which absolutely was devastating. And she said, um, we can't offer you a job in our police station. I found it very hard trying to find work where any job I could get was very low pay and very 
conditions were very bad mentally. It was absolutely horrendous. Uh, a few times I've contemplated taking my own life. It wasn't up until like 2013 when Alan Turing got his pardon that people started saying sorry or acknowledging that it was wrong. But I've never had an apology from the government. I'm, I'm still proud. I still go to Remembrance Sundays and things like that. But I don't class myself as a former soldier. I do class myself as a soldier who's kicked out the army for being gay. You've been listening to Fighting With Pride, produced by John Dash Media with the support of the Audio Content Fund. For more information, visit fightingwithpride.org.uk. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Skinny Lister there. This is a shout out. And uh, they uh, was uh, they were singing, uh, What Can I Say? And certainly left me uh, feeling a bit like that after I heard that uh, story from Fighting With Pride. More of those uh, series on Shout Out over the coming weeks as well. Right now, though, it's time for the news. <laughs> This is Shout Out News Headlines on Thursday, 23rd of September. Gay and bisexual fetish men's magazine Alpha Tribe, which has some great essays on hooking up during an age of COVID-19, also reports that Belgium Bear Pride takes place at the end of September. The Central Hotel on the Rue des Colonies has been taken over as the Bear Hotel for the weekend, and events taking place including Mr Bear Belgium 2022, educational workshops, a bear market and a film screening. The event is also committed to reducing body shaming and is celebrating the range and breadth of male physique at all stages of life. For more information, you can visit belgianbearpride.be. Sir Anthony Cher, the classical actor and star of numerous stage and television productions, has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. The community newspaper The Jewish Chronicle reports that Mr Cher's husband, Gregory Duran, announced that he would be taking leave of his own role at the Royal Shakespeare Company to take care for Mr Cher. Mr Cher was knighted in the year 2000 for his services to acting and the arts. Messages of love and support flooded in from the world of theatre as well as from the Jewish and gay communities. The Royal Shakespeare Company said it would be making no further comment regarding this personal matter and we ask that Gregory and Anthony's privacy is respected at this very difficult time. Her Majesty the Queen is said to be a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement, according to Sir Ken Elisa, the Lord Lieutenant for London and the first black person to hold that role. Asked whether the palace supported BLM, Elisa said the answer is easily yes. The Guardian newspaper spoke to representatives of the Black Lives Matter movement in the United Kingdom who said that actions matter more than words and that some of the monarchy's privilege would need to change to demonstrate practical support for the movement. In London, the Queer East Film Festival is currently running, according to top London scene magazine QX. The season of films showcased the talent of LGBTQIA plus filmmakers from South and East Asia. In addition, there are panel discussions and seminars to explore the issues raised in the movies more closely. The festival was launched in 2020, a successful queer initiative that has already thrived despite lockdown. Explaining the ethos of the festival, director Yi Wang said, global events in the past 
last year from COVID-19 related anti-Asian attacks, the Black Lives Matter movement have once again reminded us how vital, fair and authentic racial and sexual representation is for our society. LGBTQIA plus people have had labels, stereotypes and stigmas imposed on them for a long time. For me, queer is a word without consistent meaning and we should not settle on a one-note definition. I believe that film is one of the most direct and accessible mediums that allows us to address issues and situations that people simply weren't aware of before. Films enable us to construct a more positive, inclusive and dynamic LGBTQ plus narrative both outside and within the LGBTQ plus communities. For a full list of the films, visit the QX website at qxmagazine.com. In a society where money talks, it is important for there to be strong LGBTQIA business representation. Well, Ian Anderson, who is the executive of a public relations firm called Cicero, has been appointed by government to be the very first LGBTQIA business champion. Brighton gay magazine G-Scene says Mr Anderson's initial plans include a scheme to buddy up bigger, more LGBTQ plus inclusive companies with smaller firms to help them provide a business example. Robbie DeSantos from the Stonewall Group said Anderson's appointment is a welcome sign that the government has appointed someone specifically to look at this. If you think about how much time you spend at work, it's really key. And Pink UK alerts us to the fact of something we missed last week. FemFest took place at the beginning of September, being the leading music and dance festival for LGBTQ plus women. Taking place at Matlock in Derbyshire, music stars transcended what used to pass for women's music culture and included a wide variety of female DJ talent, spinning dance, reggae, soul and pop music together with tribute acts to Lady Gaga, Madonna and the late great queer-friendly Amy Winehouse. Meanwhile, another lesbian-led festival Festival, Elfest, which is open to all queer women, has announced that it will be taking place over the weekend of July 22nd at Lejando on the beautiful coast of North Wales. Wings, no, not Paul McCartney's band, but the in-house journal of Mr B, a very queer fetish brand based in Germany. Well, their 11th issue of the quality magazine Wings is out now and features queer femme artist Virgin X in full interview, along with columnists and features of interest to the BDSM scenes across Europe. And finally, we cannot leave you without wishing everyone a very happy Celebrate Bisexuality Day, which is also sometimes called International Bisexual Visibility Day. Bi-Visibility Day, also known as International Celebrate Bisexuality Day, has been marked each year since 1999 to highlight biphobia and to help people find the bisexual community. This day can be used to share stories and experiences, both positive and negative, and to celebrate bisexuality in all its forms. Events taking place this year have included a London bisexual meetup, a bisexuality in the workplace online seminar, and a bi pride picnic in the glorious Canadian city of Vancouver. For full listings, please consult bivisibilityday.com. For these news stories in further detail and much, much more, check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Ezra Peregrine and Terry Starr. Shout out LGBT radio for you The Shout Out Podcast Crikey, I think I've created an air guitar studio I'm just looking at my screens here That is of course Metallica And Nothing Else Matters Last time I played some 
uh, heavy metal on this show, I had lots of people commenting on it and saying it was a really good thing. And uh, could we have a little bit more? Well, we don't want to overdo it on any type of music. So we try and keep it nice and varied. And we hope uh, we've succeeded in doing that in this week's show. And speaking of variety and arts and things, Steffi has uh, been interviewing uh, James Bell and Leo LeBeau about their new film, Birthday Boy. And I must say, it's an absolutely great welcome back to James Bond, Leo LeBeau. Um, their film, Birthday Boy, is just about to be released. I think you completed it um, earlier this year, didn't you, James? Give me a bit of That's background right. to the, the finishing. That's right. So, yeah, we finally finished um, all post-production early this year. And um, we're really excited to um, now be starting to be accepted into festivals and the film is going to start getting out there, finally. Excellent. Now, um, Leo, I see that you interviewed 20 trans boys. How did you pick the star of the film out of 20? Oh, it was very, very difficult. Um, We were so delighted to have so much talent um, wanting to be part of our film. Um, We actually did uh, two rounds, so um, we did an open audition, and um, we did a casting call on social media. We went to um, places all around London, different kind of schools and also different kind of um, uh, LGBT centres. And um, once we got the call, we were just so amazed. Like we knew that we wouldn't be able to do that in like one session. So um, we kind of narrowed it down, I think, to about um, five, I think it was. Um, You have to correct me, James. I don't know if I got that right or not. It was a long time ago. Um, was it five? Yeah. It was. It was um, yeah. Yeah. So you say um, it seems a long time ago. How long has it actually taken you from from the start at the first day of filming to actually having it in the can and doing the last scene? How long did it actually take? Oh, it's been such a journey. I mean, um, we started the Kickstarter in the beginning of 2019, um, and then we were filming in November 2019 obviously just before the pandemic hit a few months later, which really kind of put a spanner in the works with um, all of the post-production. We had to remo- we had to kind of make everything go remote. Um, but it was amazing. Our editor found ways for us to edit via Zoom. Um, we had people doing work for us across seas in different countries and everything kind of, different countries, everything just kind of came together. But it really was like a long post-production, um, much longer than we anticipated. But because of that, we got to really put so much into the film and I think it's truly like the best it could be. Well, obviously, because uh, going on just a little bit, um, you're up for some awards, are you not? So we've just been um, selected for something called the Iris Prize, which is a BAFTA A-list qualifying festival um, taking place in Cardiff this October. And we've also been selected for another BAFTA qualifying festival called the Norwich Film Festival, um, which will be in November. Wow, that's that's incredible. Um, going back to the, the film, uh, with COVID and that, um, and trying to keep people apart, that, that must have been quite burdensome for making a film. Well, well luckily the actual shoot was before before any of the social distancing oh you managed to do that oh wow yeah okay. yeah we filmed that's how long it's been it was 2019 november yeah 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 um 
But then a few months later, that's when everything kind of happened. So we couldn't meet with our editor or our composer or anyone in person. Okay. Now, just give me a bit of um, the synopsis of of the film. Now, it involves the lead, who's um, a, a trans boy, who's stuck in an all-girls school. Yes, yeah. that's, um, that's very correct. Basically, it centres around um, a 16-year-old um, trans boy. It's their birthday. And um, they go to an all-girls school. Um, they're part of a scholarship for their musician. During that time at the school, they decided to transition. Even though it's a story about a trans boy, um, it really centres around bullying. It doesn't really focus that much on their transition. Hey, morning, birthday boy. I made you fruit flan for your birthday. Dairy, gluten and sugar-free. <laughs> Sweetheart, have you taped your chest up? It's a school day. Mum, it's fine. Really. family kind of accept them but there's a whole kind of weight on their shoulders about they come from a low low income background they kind of the family want them to they've gotten to a really great school so they want them to do really well so that they're kind of having to hide themselves in the school and during all of this they're facing the the trauma that a lot of people probably can relate to in school such as bullying so they're having to um go through that and they're having to deal with this kind of isolation that they face of really not being able to be themselves and um, it's online where they can really find their community and they, they play online games and there's this one person that they um, chat to regularly and they've kind of found a kind of connection with them and um, it, the film is kind of based around their the day in their life on their birthday and I don't want to spoil it or anything it's um, they go through some kind of a traumatic event and um, it's kind of retold from hospital beds the whole day. Um, but it, it's it's not all doom and gloom. There's quite a lovely ending. Um, it's hard for me to go back much into it without spoiling anything. But... Yeah, we don't want to be doing that. No spoilers no. on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereabouts did you film it? Was it in various places or were you um, in, in one area? Um, we actually ended up filming it. Um, we looked all across the London just because that's where our um, kind of production kind of studio was for my film school. So um, we looked all around um, Greater London and the outskirts of it. And it took us quite some time to location scout. We must have spent about six to seven months um, mainly trying to find a private school. Um, and as you can imagine, schools are quite notoriously difficult to film in just because of all the regulations that they have. And um, we found a few locations. We found one that we really loved, but um, it didn't quite work out in the end. And then it was getting closer and closer to shoot date and it ended up the perfect kind of uh, location for a school was right on our doorsteps that we never would have thought of. Mm, um, we right by the film school like literally five minutes um, it was like a glorious moment like we were like oh this is fantastic because now we can do what we wanted but we can do a bit more because we ha- don't have to travel like two hours to a location wow. and that was in Beaconsfield yeah how fortuitous was that 
Yeah, no, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. They were such a lovely school. Um, couldn't ask for a better host. Mm. Now, it's, um, you, you've got the cast in front of the cameras, but there's quite a, a cast of people actually behind the camera, isn't there? Um, it's uh, You've got uh, composer Saul Bragman, who who done the music. Why did you um, choose Saul? Um, we'd, we'd worked for Saul quite a bit. Saul is such a lovely person. He really, um, he, not only is he incredibly talented, he really tries to... Um, be respectful in everything he does with lots of composers. You know, you've got you've got so many different instruments in your at your disposal from different kind of countries, and so he really fought hard about um, wanting to really look at the film as it was, not to kind of um, scandalize or use any kind of music that would be fitting for the film. And he just worked extremely hard as well. Um, I couldn't think of a better composer as well. Um, it was just, you know, a brilliant person to work with. Going backwards, whose idea was it to do a story on um, a, a trans boy? Uh, where did you get the inspiration from? So originally it was inspired, some aspects of the story were inspired by someone quite close to me. Um but then we also put in this um, kind of some stuff from our own experience in schools as well, growing up and bullying. And one of the main themes in this film is about the kind of positive side of the internet, how you can find community, how you can find friendship. And I think that's something that a lot of queer people um, can relate to growing up when you feel quite isolated. Yeah, absolutely. James, Leo, we've run out of time, but we do need you to tell us um, where people can actually watch the film and how they can keep in touch on social media. So you can follow us at Film um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, our official website is birthdayboyfilm.com and um, you'll be able to watch Birthday Boy in the Iris Prize in October, Norwich Film Festival in November, and also from November, you'll be able to watch it on Channel 4 OD, um, so for on demand. Oh, excellent. Look forward yeah. to that. James Bell, Leo LeBeau, thank you so much for your time, and good luck with that award. Thank, thank you, you so much. It's so great to speak with you again, Steffi. Yes, very great. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Now, with the date being the 23rd of September, of course, it is by Visibility Day, and that introduces very nicely our queer story, Bisexuality. Here we go.
Hello and welcome back to Queer Story. I'm Ezra Peregrine and in today's episode I will be sharing the history of bisexuality with you all as well as talking about some of the brilliant and famous bisexuals throughout the last 50 years or more. It hasn't been until relatively recently, the last decade even, that bisexuality has been acknowledged as a legitimate sexuality. Often bisexuality was considered a mental disorder, much like homosexuality. Castration, medication, electric shock therapy and hypnosis were often used as so-called treatments. This only changed in the 1970s when many psychiatric institutions around the Western world reformed. In the 1920s, Sigmund Freud famously declared a man's heterosexuality will not put up with any homosexuality and declared that bisexuality came from a trauma inflicted upon a person while they were still in the womb. He argued that in this developmental phase, babies were not one gender or another and that any form of homosexuality was caused from babies not developing normally from this stage. In 1948, Alfred Kinsey came up with the concept of a sexuality spectrum, but it's only been the last few years that we've come to accept this. A recent YouGov study found that one in two young British people identify as not completely heterosexual, a huge leap from the findings from even just a few decades ago. And a recent study from the BBC found that a third of all young people in the UK identify as something other than straight, and that most of that third said they were equally attracted to both sexes. Through the years, the term bisexuality has undergone a series of redefinitions and for many bisexuals it holds a deeply personal meaning that has taken years for them to work out. Terms like pansexual and omnisexual are often included under the umbrella of bisexuality and certainly carry similar aspects. Bisexuality doesn't have to be limited to being attracted to both men and women. Bi advocate and author Robin Ox defines bisexuality as the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one sex and or gender gender, and includes those who fall on different parts of the gender spectrum. But the history of bisexuality extends way beyond the last few years. In ancient Greece, bisexuality was encouraged between free men and many Greek fables contain bisexual heroes. In Homer's Lilad, Achilles has relationships with both women and his friend and sparring partner, Patroclus. And Alexander the Great and Roman Emperor Hadrian both openly had wives and male lovers. Zeus even had a male lover, Ganymede, when he wasn't romancing women. The word bisexuality wasn't coined until 1892 by Charles Gilbert Chaddock, who was translating Kraft Ebbing's Psychopathia sexualis. During this time, however, homosexual acts were strictly forbidden, with England enforcing anti-sodomy laws, which didn't change in the UK until 1967. And in the 1960s, bisexuals were an important part of the gay rights movement. Bisexual Brenda Howard played a major role in organising the first gay pride march in 1969. And Donnie the Punk made the first on-campus LGBT plus student group in 1966. And so now I'd like to take some time to appreciate figures in history who are celebrated as icons of bisexuality. For many of these people, it was extremely difficult and even impossible to come out about their sexuality, and many engaged in same-sex relationships in secret, their sexuality only becoming topic of discussion years later.
So some of these people never identified as a bisexual person, but many also lived in generations where the modern-day definition of bisexual just didn't exist. Regardless, these people helped pave the way for later generations and have assisted young bisexual people in gaining knowledge and having historical context to their sexuality on a daily basis. So first, I'd like to start with Virginia Woolf. Yes, the iconic author who was married to her husband, Leonard Woolf, for years before she met fellow author Vita Sackville-West. Vita was also married. She and her husband were both openly bisexual, and she was known to have had several relationships with women during her marriage. Virginia and Vita began an affair soon after meeting at a dinner party. Their husbands both knew of the affair and did not object to it. Woolf's hugely influential novel, Orlando, is based on their relationship and Vita's son Nigel Nicholson has referred to it as the longest and most charming love letter in literature. And now Greta Garbo, the silent film actress, four-time Academy Award nominee and cinematic legend, was notoriously private about her relationships, but it's now known that she had relationships with both men and women. It's been noted that she dated conductor Leopold Sokowski, photographer Sir Cecil Beaton, fellow silent film star Louise Brooks and openly gay writer Mercedes Diacosta. Since Garbo's death, the estate of fellow Swedish-born actress Mimi Pollock released a number of letters between the pair, one of which, dated in 1930, shows that Garbo wrote to Mimi after finding out she was pregnant. We cannot help our nature as God has created it, but I've always thought you and I belonged together. It's also rumoured that Garbo, earlier in her career, also had a lesbian affair with fellow actress and lesbian icon Marlene Dietrich. Malcolm X. Many of this find to be a surprising inclusion, but there's always been rumours of black liberation hero Malcolm X having same-sex relationships, then later marrying a woman before his tragic assassination in 1965. The political leader's sexuality was never a part of his public narrative until the acclaimed biography Malcolm, the Life of a Man Who Changed Black America by Bruce Perry was published. The book includes interviews with people from Malcolm's childhood friends to people closest to him during his adult life, and several of them state that the icon was not heterosexual, as the history books dictate. Billie Holiday, the iconic jazz singer, was known to be openly bisexual throughout her career. It's long been rumoured that she had relationships with a number of stage and film actresses, including Tallulah Bankhead, Louise Crane and Greta Garbo. She also married three different men throughout her life. And lastly, Eleanor Roosevelt, who was a diplomat activist and the longest-serving First Lady of the United States during her husband Franklin Roosevelt's four terms in office. However, it's also widely known that she had a close romantic relationship with an Associated Press reporter called Lorena Hickok, who was openly gay. The pair wrote lengthy, heartfelt letters to one another almost daily, which contained romantic endearments such as, I want to put my arms around you and kiss you at the corner of your mouth, and I can't kiss you... So I kiss your picture good night and good morning. And now to share some incredible reflections from different people over the last 40 plus years. In 1972, Margot wrote an article titled Beyond Two Genderisms, Notes of a Radical Transsexual, The Second Wave, where they said that as one who views herself as a feminist bisexual woman, I must challenge yet a third aspect of sexism, which has not yet been challenged, at least not in a clumsy term and not on a large scale. I call this aspect two-genderism, an interesting term which I hope someone will improve. Literature which insists that there are only women and men is conspiring unconsciously with sexist forces to crush those in between.' 
My main feeling is that I want to love human beings. Sex and gender should not be determining factors. And Kylie Rodriguez Cairo said when writing for Bustle, identifying as bisexual often feels like you're stuck in limbo, not gay enough for some and not straight enough for others. But bi people make up to 52% of the LGBTQIA plus community, yet still quite often feel particularly or fully excluded from the narrative at Pride festivals and LGBTQ celebrations, all because of biphobia and bi erasure. Biorasia is a serious problem that isn't just promoted by straight people, but on occasion by the non-bi-queer community as well. And Elizabeth Sutherland wrote for SBS saying that bisexuals are seen as predatory, promiscuous, untrustworthy, adulterous and confused. We're vilified as fence-sitters or just plain greedy. In my line of work, I'm in in contact with young people all day. It's easier to reassure colleagues and parents I'm respectable when I'm seen as a lesbian in a steady relationship. But if I try to describe myself as bisexual, well, for starters, it sounds more sexual. We still have a way to go. There's a reason why there is a B in LGBTQIA+, and that's because all LGBTQIA people are valid, should feel included, especially in a world where queer people are often excluded from many aspects of the heteronormative society we live in. We should be coming together, supporting one another, offering guidance and love, not pushing people out just because they don't align with how we may perceive our own individual sexuality. And I'd like to end today's episode by saying that we are only now coming into a space of a deeper understanding and acceptance of the complexities of human sexuality. And whether someone chooses to call it bisexuality or not, we should be embracing the idea that anybody can love anybody, whoever they want. Being bisexual does not mean someone has sexual relations with both sexes, but that they are capable of meaningful and intimate involvement with a person regardless of gender. Jeanette Bode, The Pressure Cooker, Viewed from Another Closet, 1976. So, until next time, goodbye. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Becky Hill and David Getter there with Remember. Now here's something else for you to remember as well. For more information about Shout Out Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. There we go. That's that our track. That track was awfully short, Matthew. It's very For short. A modern it? track, two forty-one. That's more like a fifties or sixties. Uh, Some of the Motown tracks were quite quite short, weren't they? Was it uh, yes. "Ain't No Man Too High Enough"? I think is that well, two minutes. I think anything in the sixties was short. <laughs> That's but you were limited, weren't you? Because uh, like the the, the the records weren't very. You couldn't actually get much information on them. Is that, well, is that the what seven it was? Inches, I don't know. I don't know. No. Um, but they started with um, 12 inches, didn't they? Which uh, were yeah. a decent length. Um, so about seven or eight minutes for the 12 yeah. inches. Terry, are you. Are I, think you it was also, I think it was also choice. I mean, The House of the Rising Sun by the Animals, which was 1964, that was six minutes. That was one of the first six minute long records, a, a single. Mm. But uh, the BBC refused to play it because uh, it was too long for Too them. long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, there we go. <laughs> a lot of groups did. 
did two parts, didn't they? Flower Pot Men, Let's Go to San Francisco, was uh, both sides of the yes. seven inch, yeah. Yes. Ah, yes, of course, of course. Um, you rarely I'm, hear side two, yeah. You do, yes. I have to say, uh, Ezra, really enjoyed your piece about um, bisexuality there and, and, and all history as well. Really, really interesting. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I just... Um, one of the things that people ask me about is um and, and i'm openly talk about it is uh, if i'm in a relationship with uh, a woman do i feel invisible and i have to say yes i do uh, at times not always depends who I, what company i'm with but um it, it does and you, you can feel this we we've heard, may have heard this term by erasure and it's why we have these things like by visibility day because we, we we are human beings and i don't know ezra what are your thoughts on that yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, growing up, I've had a lot of questions and, and I say questions, a lot of them are statements. Um, I don't know if they necessarily expect a response. It's just uh, this is how I feel. How do you feel? Oh, wait, I, I, no, I don't want a response to that. But yeah, I mean, for me, I think it dep- depending on who I'm dating depends on how people perceive my sexuality, yeah. which in itself mm. is, is interesting. And then I suppose it, it can feel a bit you know you can feel a bit pressured um to, to open up that conversation um at times um but you know i'm very much um a pansexual um i love people for who they are um but it, yeah it's fascinating you know when i'm dating um a, a female um people will often say to me oh so you're a lesbian then you know and if lesbian. i'm dating well you know first of all i'm non-binary um and then if i'm dating a man um it's well you know you're, you're heterosexual yeah <laughs> so indeed but no. well it's a conversation that will carry on and uh, but uh, if you are celebrating today well happy bisexuality day uh, there we go uh, unfortunately we have run out of time Steffi, what's on next week's show um, Sasuke chats to Paul Davis, presenter Mr. Wells, Mr. Gay Universe, and LGBTQI disabilities activist. And of course, our news extra and the final segment for this month, anyway, Fighting with Pride. Ooh, right, you've sold it well. So join us next time for Shout Out. Until then, cheerio! Bye! Shout out. LGBT Radio for you.